Welcome everybody to the Meltdown Show. I am going to be their host of this great, wonderful podcast called The Meltdown Show. You can call me Meltdown. My name is Tommy Melton, based out of beautiful Southwest Florida down here. So the rest of the world is freezing in 7 degree weather. I am currently sitting in 76 degree weather and overcast skies and freezing my tail off. But that's not why we're here. If you ever want to talk about weather, go to a weather podcast. We're not going to do weather here. We're going to do sports. And coming off of a great big weekend of sports, most most primarily the most bit largest thing of last weekend was, you know, if you're not a big golf fan or watching that NASCAR thing, which I thought they were trying to end, was the NFL Combine. And, boy, we got a lot of big stories out of the NFL Combine. So a couple really, really big, 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 big stories right out of the gate. One of the largest stories out of that combine is from DK Metcalf, wide receiver, Ole Miss. If you've not seen this guy, he is enormous. He literally looks like a human version of RoboCop. He's got muscles stacked on top of muscles. He ran a 4-3-3-40. In case you're trying to realize who else ran that fast, you're looking at Odell Beckham Jr., Ezekiel Elliott type of speed. And by the way, he's like 6'5". So 6'5", 230-ish, 235, shredded muscle. Folks, that is the equivalent of being chased by a soda machine with arms and legs. He's a huge human being. Did great in the 40, did great in the vertical. Athleticism off the charts. Then once you see this kind of performance, you, you start getting, you know, social media, Twitter. Follow the uh, Meltdown Show on Twitter as well. You start getting all these people saying comparisons start flying. DK Metcalf is the next Julio Jones. Ooh, let's pump our brakes. Julio Jones is an A-plus wide receiver in the NFL. And DJ Metcalf is a good college wide receiver. But when he's at the combine, you have to do the, the, the three-cone and the shuttle. And it just wasn't it – wasn't, it, it was the fourth, fourth worst in combine history. So basically, he can run really fast in a straight line. He can jump really high without running. But when it comes to actually doing cutting and breaking and stopping and route running, he was one of the worst in history. He makes me a little nervous. I have a feeling whatever team drafts him is going to have to put this little nugget in the back of their head. that He may be one of those guys that shows up at the combine and is a workout warrior, looks great in shorts and a t-shirt. But doesn't really pan out as a football player. I think he's got more of a career as a personal trainer, in my, my own humble opinion. But we'll have to wait and see. But I think comparing him to Julio Jones is um, BS. I don't think there's a comparison there at all. But DK wasn't the only one that had a huge uh, combine. Montez Sweet out of Mississippi State, six foot six, two 260 pounds. He ran a 4.4. 40. Wow. That's faster than most running backs. That's faster than most of your wide receivers. It's definitely faster than most of your defensive backs. That is pure speed for a man that size. That kind of skill set and athleticism coming off the edge at the next level is kind of what pro bowlers and Hall of Famers are made of if he can translate. At Mississippi State, he was a very, very good defensive lineman. SEC 
all teams. He's a good, good player. I think him running this time at the 40 time is just going to make his overall draft stock go up. One guy I've been totally high on like for the last two years, and not high, but totally high on, and I'm not an LSU guy, but Devin White, linebacker. He, to me, with the exception of Sweet, is probably the most dynamic defensive player in this draft at the linebacker lineman position. He can go sideline to sideline. He's fast. He can stuff the run. He can get into some coverage situations. I think he's the probably one of the, he's gonna be kind of like a lot like Rokon Smith last year with the Bears. Hopefully he signs earlier. But he's gonna be that type of player. Plug him in day one and just let him play football the way he's been playing the last five years. I mean you mentioned LSU and you mentioned Devin White. You can't mention LSU without mentioning another LSU player in this draft. And everyone probably knows his name. He's probably gonna be the first Defensive back off the board, and that's Greedy Williams. Greedy Williams, long, athletic, fast, great vertical, 4 340 as well. So, I mean, these guys are so – everybody wonders why LSU defense is so good. Look at how fast their guys are and where they get drafted. They usually always go in the first round or second round. LSU has produced defensive players for the last decade and a half, and this is just going to add to that lineage. But with the NFL combine – what is the one thing we all cannot wait to see what happens? Nope, it's not the kickers. It's the quarterbacks. And this draft class, looking at it on paper, is, um, um, I don't know what to think. You know, Justin Herbert from Oregon was supposed to come out this year. He decides to stay in school. Probably a wise decision. A lot of teams that needed quarterback last year addressed it last year, but there are a few teams that are looking for quarterbacks. There's even a team that has a quarterback that they drafted in the first round last year that's looking to draft a quarterback again in the first round this year. And I'm talking about our friends, the Arizona Cardinals, and Cliff Kingsbury, the new head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, is smitten with Kyler Murray. Yes, Kyler Murray, five foot eight, two hundred and seven pound Kyler Murray. What? Oh, oh. They measured him out at 5'10". Right. However, he could possibly be the number one pick in the draft. Now, I mocked the team last year for taking a quarterback under six foot last year in Baker Mayfield, and he kind of made me eat my words. Kyler Murray is the same kind of skill set, a little quicker. I think he has a little bit better decision-making. I think he's probably going to make me eat my words, too, so I'll be cautious of what I say. I think um, the Cardinals have a big decision to make. When they trade Rosen, that's going to put another quarterback into this draft pool to a team. So one of these other quarterbacks later in the draft is going to probably have to slide due to this situation. I don't think the Cardinals will take Kyler number one. I think that is a, a big, big reach even for them. But I do believe that he will be a Cardinal. They will find a way, maybe trade out, get another draft pick, and then get him later in the in the draft, and then deal Rosen after the draft. Kyler Murray also, baseball stud. You know, had a $9 million contract, uh, third, fourth overall pick by the by the uh, Oakland A's. A's were patiently waiting for him to sign his deal. And he says, you know what? You give me $15 million, I'll definitely play baseball. A's basically, in a very kind way, told him to pack sand. So he put himself in the NFL draft. Now, granted, he's going to make great money in the NFL over his career. There's no doubt about that. He's going to make good money. 
And, and he made $9 million with the A's before I was doing anything. And I understand in professional baseball, your first few years, you had to ride the buses and you had to go through the small little towns and then the grind of a minor league career. It, you know, it could be kind of worrisome. When the NFL, you know, you go to training camp, you play your season, you play your playoffs, you go home. Baseball is a little bit more, a little more of a drag. And yeah, but Murray had a high projection. Two, three years, he probably would have been at the major league level. Probably would have been a, a pretty good performer, kind of like uh, good comparisons to Mookie Betts. So I think I think Murray is kind of looking for the money that's right in front of him and doesn't really want to look ahead. Because, look, you turn pro, you have a good career, and then they try to give you $300 million. Bryce Harper signs a $330 million contract with the Phillies. Think about that when you're driving back and you got Terrell Suggs coming off the edge and you get planted. You could be playing baseball, rolling around in center field, no one trying to kill you. But Kyler had to do what was best for Kyler, so hopefully he can make that work out. But he's not the only quarterback in this draft that people are really talking about. Another quarterback who has gotten a large amount of praise very, very, very quickly is Dwayne Haskins of Ohio State, and he should. Or for what, four to eight hundred yards and fifty touchdowns last year. So he had a good season. Big kid, great arm, not the most fleet of foot, which most quarterbacks now everybody wants to be fast, fast, run, run, run. I still think the quarterbacks that sit in the pocket, and actually I think for like the last thirteen or fourteen years, quarterbacks in the pocket and don't move around a lot have all won Super Bowls. I mean, you think about it with the exceptions of Rodgers and Russell Wilson, everyone else is pretty much a statue. And since Brady won half of those during that stretch, you know he's not running anywhere. I mean, he may even, he may just have like a quick pace to get away from somebody. If not, he just goes down. But Dwayne Haskins is, a, is an interesting pick because the Giants could get him at six. But do they have an Eli on their roster? Do the Giants boldly go for the for the future of their franchise to mix in with Saquon now? Or do the Giants take another huge need and Haskins falls maybe to 10 to the Dolphins? I don't think he'll fall past 10 at the Dolphins. I think the Dolphins are desperately looking for a quarterback. There's been rumors that if, say, Kyler doesn't go high to the Cardinals, that there'd definitely be in a play for him in Miami. So I think this draft's going to really be dependent on who takes what, when, where. Like most drafts do, but especially in this one to see where these early quarterbacks fall. A few other quarterbacks I wanted to discuss. Will Greer, Will Greer, excuse me, out of West Virginia, started his career at Florida, ended up with a PED issue, and then kind of fell out of favor with his coaches. Transfers to West Virginia, has a pretty good college career, wins a bunch of games, puts up a lot of good stats, and now he's an interesting pick come draft day because a little experienced, got a good arm. Is the son of a coach. So he checks all the boxes of a quarterback that you're looking for to be very productive at the next level. He's not the only one. Missouri's Drew Locke is what a lot of people, Mel Kuypers and Todd McShay's of the world, have said he's probably the most NFL-ready quarterback now. What does NFL-ready quarterback mean? He's got the body. He's got the arm. He's got a little mobility. He has it between the ears. That's kind of what they're trying to check off, and he does. He meets all that criteria. He's a very cool customer. I think at the next level, if he gets a shot and it works out, and a lot of it has to do with that. A lot of times it has to work out for for quarterbacks coming from college to the pros to be successful. 
Last name here on this quarterback list, a couple names actually, David Jones out of Duke. Now, why is this intriguing? David Jones is about 6'5", 225, and plays for David Cutcliffe at Duke. What other two quarterbacks played for? Oh, that's right. Peyton and Eli Manning both played for Cutcliffe. Peyton at Tennessee, Eli at Ole Miss, all played under Cutcliffe, all got their tutelage, and... I think they got, what, four Super Bowl rings in between them. So he's, he's pretty good at developing quarterbacks for the next level. David Jones is definitely going to be high on somebody's list. I wouldn't be surprised if he is a late first-round pick. I have also watched him play throughout his college career. You know, he's kind of doesn't really jump off the page at you until you watch him really get into running an offense. He really, really has a grasp of it. I think he's going to be a, a very good NFL quarterback once he gets settled with a team. Two other quick names I really want to mention up. Yeah, uh, you got McSorley from Penn State. Small guy, kind of like Kyler Murray. You know, athletic can run a little bit. Has a decent has a decent arm, not a great arm. I think he's more of a fit. I don't really see him having too great of a NFL career. I don't think he can uh, muster up enough. But you never know if he gets in the right situation, he definitely could do that. Another quarterback, and I just throw this out just from basically from watching the the Senior Bowl. Jared Stidham, quarterback, Auburn. reason why I say this, I watched him at Baylor, and he put up all the numbers. He was very accurate. And then he trades to Auburn. He's kind of had an up-and-down career at Auburn. I've seen him play really good, and I've seen him play really bad. But he always shows you flashes of how good he is. If you watched him in the Senior Bowl, he was lights out, especially in the red zone. That last 20 yards, he was spotless. He worked with an NFL coaching staff. He worked with an NFL quarterback coach, and they really got him to shape up what he does best and kind of works his tools for him. He had an exceptional, exceptional senior bowl. So Jared Stidham, another name you definitely want to talk about or listen for on draft night. So the NFL draft wrapping up. The Wonderlook tests are all done, which I can only imagine what that is like. I've, I've seen some some example questions online of the Wonderlook. It just seems like a chaotic 15 minutes. They did their interviews. They met with all their teams. It's it just seems it is a poking and prodding process for these for these young men that it has to be draining on their system. I mean, who even calls it the Wonderlick? I mean, I mean, is that named after somebody? I have to look that up. That just seems to be the, the silliest name for a test to be given to football players that I could ever think of. So NFL rolling head along into April. And April, we all know, is draft. So that'll be coming down the pipe. You'll probably start hearing some uh, some movement. They're already probably going to have a lot of... There may be some trades on draft night, which I always like. A lot of teams have a lot of picks. I think uh, the, the Raiders have three first-round picks. I, um, I'm, I'm blanking the other team. There's another team that has two first-round picks. You know, so you only have a lot of players. You know, the Oakland's going to try to get good in a hurry really, really quickly. Trying to figure out who John Gruden takes with his first pick of the draft is going to be kind of like doing you know molecular physics with your eyes closed. You never know what's going to come out of the guy. We know he likes to collect quarterbacks. We know he likes to uh, always have draft picks to play with. He kind of takes on, I think he's wanting to kind of take on the Belichick mindset of always having draft picks and maybe drafting players later in the draft developing and actually doing more of a coaching process than just, you know, scooping up talent out of the gate. So the NFL is definitely going to have a lot in store for us. 
we've been given a treat this offseason with the AAF. If you guys have not seen the AAF, it's pretty interesting. Uh, the most interesting thing is the pace of play. It's a pretty quick game. There's a 35-second play clock, and once that clock, once the play's over, the clock starts again. So it almost kind of puts you in a perpetual hurry-up offense unintentionally. It does make better flow to the game, and there's actually players that you recognize on these teams. It's not like starting left tackle, Mike Smith, and it's none of that. It's players you've heard of, and even players you haven't heard of, you will hear of very soon. A couple quarterbacks in this AAF league that has really, really stepped up and have kind of opened some eyes, not just for me and my humble podcast, but for NFL scouts and even some people on the NFL network. Garrett Gilbert, quarterback of the Orlando Apollos, asinine name. But he has actually had a very good start to his AAF career. I think they are undefeated. They're putting up points. Well, they're coached by the great Steve Spurrier, so that could be helping him as well. But another quarterback, Luis Perez for the Birmingham Iron. He has looked sharp. He's looked stellar. He looks like he's been a professional for years. I don't know if you know this about Luis. He's a homegrown, self-taught quarterback, played at Division II, won a national championship, and also won the equivalent of the Heisman at the Division II level. So he has the tool. He's athletic. He's got a really good arm. So I think these guys, you know, maybe last year, last couple of years, they've been on some practice squads. We may actually start seeing them cracking some backup roles and in a pinch maybe a starting role. I think the AAS main goal, and it's not funded by the NFL yet, but the, I'm sure the NFL is watching closely. I think they're hoping this AAF can kind of help give some experience to some O-linemen, some D-linemen, even some quarterback experience. You know, get them some games when they're – because it's kind of hard to hold the clipboard all year and then all of a sudden two or three injuries in one game and you're thrown into a, into a game. It's not really fair. I think this AAF is going to be used as a feeder league, which I think the NFL needs. These players, you know – have these careers, they get beat up, they get banged up, and teams are only stuck with 53 players plus their practice squad. I think if they can kind of meld these two together, teams can kind of watch the production of younger players or players that are fringe professionals. They don't really get a chance and just kind of go off into the world and try to catch on at some arena team where they can actually keep them playing, keep them developing, and I think overall it will help the product on the NFL field in the long run. So football... Is, it seems like it's nonstop once this AAF, and which is a horrible name for a football league, but once this kind of rolls to the end, you know, it'll be time for uh, training camps and and two-a-days for the uh, NFL to start back up. So the NFL is keeping football in her face, whether they're meaning to or not, they're meaning to. But what's also going on right now this time of year, and it's huge, America's greatest pastime, baseball. Baseball is back, and spring training, or as I like to call it, adult practice, is in full swing. And some interesting notes. I mean, it's kind of hard to get too excited for spring training. Basically, if you're a diehard baseball fan, which I am, I'm a Cubs fan, born and raised in Memphis. So really, when you grow up as a Cub, growing up in Memphis, if you like baseball, the only team you really ever get to watch is the Cubs or the Braves. (laughs) No one likes the Braves. I'm just kidding. But I'm a Cubs fan, but teams out... There's a couple teams that are moseying right along here through this spring training that are very, very eye-opening. Out west in the Cactus, you have the Angels, who have scored already 80 runs in like 13 games. 
So they're putting up numbers at a great, at a high clip. Trout is already off to that June form that you kind of expected him, who's just a pro. He just shows up, does his job, and he always seems ready. He never seems like he has to warm up or get ready to go. Another key sign for the Angels out west is Albert Pujols is hitting the absolute cover off the baseball, which I think is going to help the Angels be a contender in the AL West. On the east side, the Phillies, top team in the east, before Bryce Harper. Now Bryce Harper signed a couple days ago. He was announced. I think he took his first set of batting practice and at the Phillies facilities yesterday. So it'll probably be another week or so before we see him out there. Or probably the beginning of the season before we see him get into his good groove. Can Harper deliver on that thirty that $330 million contract? He has talent. He has the skills. Will Philly fans be patient with him? Harper has a tendency to go into big slumps throughout the season. And, oh, in the playoffs, we're, I think he's batting a cool 211, which, you know, it's better than 200, I guess. So the Phillies are having a great start. But you got to kind of temper your enthusiasm when it comes to spring training. Sure, these teams are all playing great. The Angels, the Phillies, you know, they're having a good start. And then you know a team is going to be good, but you look at their record. Like if you look at the Brewers' record, the Brewers are 3 and nine right now, currently. Three and nine. And they won the NL Central last year. They have talent galore this year. I think they're just slowly coming off a playoff season, which they have not had in a while. And it's just taking its toll on them. It's going to take them a while to get going. They will be in the hunt in the NL Central along with the St. Louis Cardinals and the Chicago Cubs this year. So, Spring training cruising along. We'll start to see uh, some uh, rosters start to shape up here. Free agents will hopefully start to sign as Harper and Machado have come off the board. There's still a couple key free agents out there that I think people need to pay attention to. For one, Dallas Keuchel, still a free agent. How? I think he's asking for too much money. I know the I know the Astros are probably going to make another run at him. Here's an interesting thing. Kevin Gossman and Fulton Awitz for the Braves, are both kind of banged up and injured. And I think now the Braves are having to look at Keiko maybe as a stopgap to fill. So Keiko might be able to get his money, at the exception of the Braves losing two pretty decent pitchers. Craig Kimball is the other guy out there. I think he's trying to make like $30 million a year as a closer. Unfortunately for him, closers are becoming more of a committee in Major League Baseball, with the exception of a few. But, you know, I don't think they're going to be using paying that much for one pitcher ever again. So I'm sure, will they get $15, 16000000 million a year? Sure. Should he? Absolutely. He's one of the best closers in baseball. But I don't think getting that huge Mariano Rivera money is even going to apply anymore moving forward. And speaking of moving forward and money and people making money, the NBA season is chugging right along. We're down to about 15 regular season games left. And if you've been watching lately, you see LeBron James has kind of lost his mojo a little bit. I don't think it's the fact that he's old. I think it's the fact he plays on a crappy team. And no one really told him how crappy they were until he had to see it for himself. You watch him play the last few nights. He's not rotating on defense. I think he's kind of looking ahead to the offseason and praying somebody comes to play with him. Now, I know someone will show up to play with him. Who? That remains to be the question. I'm surprised no one came to show up and play with him this year. I think he's a little surprised in that, too. But he's had to suffer through a very, very long season. Speaking of suffering, 
poor Celtics fans. They went on the All-Star break and never came back. Celtics are 1-5 in five since the All-Star break, and their All-Star point guard seems to be one of the most unhappy people in the NBA. Kyrie Irving has been very contentious the last couple of days during interviews. He doesn't seem to uh, like the flow of the team. You hear some of the remarks coming out of the team that we just don't have a cohesive group, which is really shocking for a Brad Stevens coach team. I think when he first took the team over, they had one or two good players, Isaiah Thomas, you know, Al Horford, you know, um, Jay Crowder, you know, grinders, tough players, and they and they fought you tooth and nail. Well, now the skill level's gotten a little higher, and I think they've lost some of that grit. You know, you have the Jalen Browns and the Jason Tatums and the Gordon Haywards now. You have skill guys to go along with Kyrie Irving and, and Al Horford. So, I don't. I think they're trying to. I don't think they've lost some of that team, that team mentality that they once had. Very, very um, not that long ago. Now the Celtics could be a playoff team. They could be the NL representative in the playoffs for for a world title. I, they have that kind of skill. But I think the way they're playing, I think there's something amiss. There's a disconnect between the coaches and the players. Or maybe it's just the uh, Kyrie Irving already has a foot out the door and is looking forward to greener pastures. I know the major reason why he wanted to come to Boston was to win his own championship. But I think he's kind of seen that, you know, it's hard to win a championship by yourself. And that maybe playing with LeBron wasn't so bad. Now, I'm not a LeBron James fan. I mean, I you know admire the way he plays and stuff like that. But I don't usually stick up for him. But I think Kyrie is starting to see, you know, maybe if you stick around with uh, LeBron a little bit longer, maybe you probably could have had a little bit better, a um, little bit better ending than what we had. And something makes me think that they may end up playing together again. When they played together in Cleveland, they were a really good team. They worked well together when Kyrie and LeBron would pass the ball to each other. That's another thing. Sometimes there's not enough basketballs when you get two two or three highly profile players on one team. But the NBA has a lot going for it right now. I think my projections for the NBA Finals is going to be <laughs> going to sound kind of weird, but I think the Milwaukee Bucks and Golden State Warriors will play in a best of seven for the world title. You know, Milwaukee's had one of the best records in basketball. They have one of the most dynamic players in basketball in Giannis Anacatopo. So, I just like saying that. And he he's brought a an energy to a Milwaukee team that, to be honest with you, I don't think has had energy in my entire life. And I'm in my 40s. So, that he brings a lot of power to him. Golden State is loaded with power. I think they're on the back end of this little uh, run that they're on. I think you're going to see some players move in the offseason, primarily Kevin Durant. I think he's going to go try to do his own championship, win his own team. A lot of teams have been speculating it's going to be the Knicks. Um, I don't know why anybody would want to play for the Knicks. That seems like, you know, look, the house is on fire. Okay, let's move in type of mentality. But the NBA season, as it's winding down, you got to start looking like who's going to be the MVP. And there's a few candidates, if you've watched basketball at all, James Harden is having a spectacular good year. And I always get this argument thrown at me on Twitter and other places like, well, he doesn't play defense. Newsflash, have you seen scores in an NBA game lately? Yeah, no one plays defense. So that, I think, is no longer becoming a, uh, a valid point. I think having James Harden, you know, what was it? He's not averaging a triple-double, but it's like 35 points a game for like, 12, 13, three games. I mean, that is a lot of scoring. And then he plays the Celtics the other night, and I think he goes for like 38. He is 
in a zone as a score. But he's not the only one. I think a big surprise this year is Paul George. Paul George is picking up for Oklahoma, Oklahoma City where Russell Westbrook has fallen off. Russell Westbrook's jumper kind of resembles Lonzo Ball's right now. It, it's just not going in. I think he's shooting 20% from three, 25% from three. So Russell Westbrook is way off the mark as far as shooting. But good for, good for Paul George. Paul George stays in Oklahoma City, which a lot of people mocked him for. And look what he's doing. He doesn't have all that L.A. pressure, plus being from there. He's in Oklahoma City. He plays with a very flamboyant point guard who gets a lot of attention. And Paul George just goes out there and does his job. He did the same thing in Indy. He just goes out, performs, and goes home. I think he's playing some of the best basketball of his career. He's went 30-plus a night. He's a double-double guy. You know, he's hard to guard. He shoots it at an extremely high rate, which I I think is hope keeping Oklahoma City afloat in the NBA. I mentioned Giannis earlier. Giannis, another no-brainer for um, for the MVP conversation this year. He's been virtually unguardable in a lot of situations. You could put LeBron on here because someone will, which I think LeBron has no business being anywhere near a list for MVP this year. I I think his body language is terrible, and I think... I, I mean, I would. I think Lakers is where he wants to kind of build his next foundation. But I, the Lakers really got to take into account that they're going to spend a lot of money and move a lot of pieces to make uh, Mr. James a happy person. And by the way, good luck with that because if he's not happy, just see what happens. Oh, and by the way, in case you don't know this, Luke Walton's probably going to be fired because you know GM James isn't really happy with him. So, but hey. But NBA, wrapping in, getting ready to set up for playoffs. Another professional sporting league kicked off its 27th season. MLS started over the weekend. Yep, so they covered that. So uh, Major League Soccer is back, and uh, we couldn't be excited. So what are we going to see in the next few weeks? Mock drafts or the NFL... MLS roaring NBA playoffs will be starting. Good time of year. It's going to start getting busier. Major League Baseball will start. But something is also going to start in the month of March. And we all love it. Bracketology and March Madness, baby. Somebody from nowhere state's going to knock off a named school. It happens almost every year. It's it's that time of year where people who don't watch college basketball all year will tell you who's going to win and why, strictly because they like their mascot. That is probably definitely something to go. Two weeks from yesterday, from Sunday, is Selection Sunday coming up, and people are starting to say who were going to be our top four seeds for the NBA, for the um, NCAA tournament. I have my four picks for the top four. One is biased. I am a Tennessee fan, so they're definitely in it. But I have Duke as the number one overall. Gonzaga followed by Tennessee and then followed by Virginia. That Virginia one can teeter-totter either way depending on you know how North Carolina comes on late and if Kentucky can get hot late. Um, I think Tennessee and Kentucky will be one of the two SEC representatives depending on how they end up the season. I think, Kentucky in, uh, I think Tennessee ends with Mississippi State tonight and then Auburn on Saturday and Kentucky I have no idea who they finish with. So they're definitely probably on a title course for round three in the NCAA, in the uh, SEC championship, which I'm pretty excited for. I like, I enjoyed playing 
Kentucky. I, I did not like the first game at Rupp because I think Kentucky just out athletic Tennessee, which is very hard to do. And they made every basket they they threw up. It was just one of those days. But then you fast forward two weeks, you get the Cats up in Knoxville. Tennessee takes care of business at home as they normally do, or they have had 18 consecutive times this year. They are undefeated at home. So that is a great, great sign moving forward. Unfortunately, we can't play the SEC tournament in Knoxville. We have to play at Nashville. Still in the great state of Tennessee, but it will be difficult. SEC has kind of been boiled down to two teams, you know, um, Kentucky and Tennessee. One team to look at coming down the line is LSU. LSU beat Tennessee by one early this year on a very up-and-down controversial game, if I do say so myself. But LSU is, is not a pushover by any means. So whoever draws them in the semis or the quarters will have to bring their A game to it all. Well, folks, that's the show. Uh, hopefully you like it. Please send me messages. Let me know what I'm doing right, what I'm doing wrong. Please give me a follow on the uh, on the Twitter machine at The Meltdown Show. And uh, we'll see you very, very soon. Um, until then... Go watch some sports.